My first reading is by Valdemar Argo. An old Buddhist said, tell me, what is this day you cherish so that you call Christmas? And the stranger from the West said, Christmas is not a day, really. It is light, I think. It comes when days are shortest and darkest and hearts despair. And it reminds us that winter death is a temporary thing and that light and life are eternal. And it is hope for it demonstrates how kind and generous and self-forgetting human beings can be. And we know that what people can be, can be sometimes, they can, if they will, be most times. And assuredly, it is love. Its symbol is a newborn babe, warm and safe in his mother's arms. To be sure, he was born a long, long time ago, Yet through the ages, his influence as he became a man and the truths he taught and the love he incarnated have proved stronger and dearer in matters that matter most than all kings and armies and governments of history. Oh, whatever else it may be, Christmas indeed is love. I think I understand the old Buddhist said Christmas is like a lotus blossom. When it blooms, it holds, as in a chalice, the beauty of the world. Yes, you do understand, said, understand, said the stranger from the West. When it comes, Christmas brings the light that redeems us from darkness, the hope that casts out fear and the love that overcomes the world. It is Christmas. We rejoice. And suddenly the lotus blooms. My second reading is by Jack Mendelssohn. They begin as cogs, those protagonists in A Christmas Carol. Bob Cratchit is not really a person, but a tool, a thing, a machine hired to turn out as much work as possible. Scrooge is a stick figure fashioned of cupidity, loneliness, and self-hate. Both live in a social situation of organized moral anarchy. Dickens' answer, appropriate to the crisis, is that love can overcome such radical alienation and weave bonds even between people who lack shared customs or beliefs. We know that Dickens brought off the miracle of showing Scrooge the power of love. We face a task more difficult than Scrooge's or that of Dickens himself, not only because ours is a real life, is a real life rather than a story, but because the forces of estrangement and spiritual numbness are stronger now than in the London of Tiny Tim. In a way, this can be turned to our advantage, for we have no choice really but to recognize and accept the implications of our extreme predicament. The love which saved Scrooge is now a necessity, not an option. And it must be love in the tough and universal sense of community, quest, daring, and growth. A fragmented world needs people capable of such love to put it together. This putting together is not an abstraction. It is personal and immediate. 
It has been said that the, be the best we can do in the world is to increase the odds of something human happening. There is power to create in our life circles, close and remote, precious bonds of tough and universal love. May the blessing of such Christmas be yours. Both of these readings talk about hope and love, and rarely of late have hope and love become more challenging or more necessary. So I wanted to talk about hope and love and how we touch and are touched by both, how we live and give life by both, and how it is we and no one else that make them real and give them substance, give them intimate and ultimate reality, hope and love and maybe grace. We grace one another with our presence. Even when we are irate or annoyed, we grace each other with our mutual striving. Even when we are at odds with one another, we grace others, even those we don't know, with our shared tumultuous journey through this mysterious, challenging, and wondrous thing called life. We would not want to go it alone. Matt Damon played astronaut Mark Watney in the 2015 movie, The Martian. Uh, many of you may remember that movie about a man who presume, was presumed dead by his shipmates and thus was left stranded on Mars after the team returned to Earth. Though the movie was entertaining, I never felt that it sufficiently captured the unmitigated horror Watney must have felt when he realized his predicament that he was absolutely and fully alone, the only living being in the relative, relatively hostile environment of this close but infinitely distant planet. I was drawn for some time after the movie trying to imagine that sense of utter aloneness he must have felt and couldn't. It is simply unimaginable, unfathomable, which may be why the movie was unable to adequately portray it, at least for me. Mendelssohn said in our opening reading that the best we can do in this world is to increase the odds of something human happening. And it takes a shared humanity for that to be possible. We grace one another with our shared humanity, our shared presence on this earth and in this life. And perhaps it is through grace that we are able to hope, able to love. But that does not mean it is easy. It can be easy. It can be easy on occasion, easy for some people much of the time and for many people some of the time. But sometimes it is just really hard for a lot of people, and this seems to be one of those times in our country, in our culture, in our world. Many of us, many of us have struggled with shock and dismay at the turn our country seems to have taken, and I know I've addressed this recently. 
many of us have suffered with the dispiritedness that was wrapped us in a cold cloak of despair, so heavy that we find it hard to climb out from beneath it, to lift its hood from our head and face so that we might look up again, to stretch our limbs so that we might reach and touch again, to shed it from our backs so that we might rise to the ongoing call of life. Poet Mary Oliver wrote, it is a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in this broken world. And she wrote, I go down to the shore in the morning and depending on the hour, the waves are rolling in or moving out and I say, oh, I am miserable. What shall, what should I do? And the sea says in its lovely voice, excuse me, I have work to do. And also she wrote, and it is, that is just the point, how the world, moist and beautiful, calls to each of us to make a new and serious response. That's the big question, the one the world throws at you every morning, how you are alive. Would you like to make a comment? Here we are, alive, the world calling to us. Would we like to make a comment? And what would our comment be? What would your comment be? Mine, for too long, and I know you've heard me complain about this before, for too long mine might have been a pathetic murmuring, a whimpering from beneath the cold, heavy cloud and cloak of despair. And occasionally, at the opposite extreme, a periodic screaming of obscenities too foul to share with you and which were only ever momentarily satisfying, if that. When I am at my best, though, I have managed both to inch my way out from beneath the cloak and to tone down my lusty, obnoxious, for-the-dog's-ears-only rhetoric to finally begin again, to respond to life's insistent calling forth of our efforts, our hope, and our love. I have been able to do this as I have seen some of you make your way back. And by talking to others and to others who continually touch my heart with your own. I have been able to do this because of those I know or observe who seemingly wear their hearts on their sleeves and put their time, thought, and energy into all that their sleeved hearts absorb and reflect and encompass. And I have been able to do so really because so many people, you, others I know, those I hear about, touch me so call me to hope and love because of their own resilient hope and expressive love. There are a bunch of folks in this church. We are blessed by an abundance of that same expansive love and selfless service and embarrassment of altruistic riches, so to speak. It is expressed differently by each of us, certainly, 
It ebbs sometimes and flows at other times in some of us, in most of us probably. It is aimed specifically or broadly, depending on time, occasion, and life events. But we know it is there, this deep caring for those in our small circles, our larger circles, and the circles beyond our immediate knowing. This caring, perhaps it is universal, or at least the capacity may be universal if it doesn't get brutally sidelined or demolished along the way. But this caring seems widespread among those in the circles of Unitarian Universalism, among others. Caring not predicated so much on right belief, right heritage, or right ethical persuasion even, but rather on the mere fact of our mutual existence in the world, our shared human journey, the community of the commonality of the human condition. 19th century Scottish poet Alexander Smith wrote that love is but the discovery of ourselves in others and the delight in the recognition. And I think that captures it pretty well. Now we can be snobs. I don't want to be all Pollyanna-ish about it. We can be stiff-necked and presumptuous on occasion and stubborn and judgmental. But that sort of universal caring and infinite love simmers fairly consistently at the core of each of us, rising up unbidden at times, surprising us with the power of its grip on our hearts, but rising up especially when it is well-tended, well-tended, nourished, and nurtured. That's one of the things we try to do here in our own church community, tend and nourish each other's capacity to love. This can be done by giving and helping broadly in large ways and small, publicly or anonymously, giving to others to the extent that the giving itself becomes a gift to ourselves. There is so much uncertainty in the world today, it seems, Uncertainty like never before, maybe, around work, education, the economy, medical care, politics, and the government, the health of the planet. Life sometimes seems overwhelming. But one thing that is not uncertain, one thing you can be sure of is that you can make a difference. We can make a difference. I don't want anyone leaving the service today without understanding that they can make a difference. And because they can, there is always hope. There is hope because of that universal love that lies at the core of us, nudging us, urging us, compelling us to meet needs with caring, to meet anger with love, to meet fear with the assurance of hope coupled with a pat on the back, a hug, or a listening ear. We do this in many ways here at Neshoba for one another when we can, and in the broader community as we so often do and as we will be doing by providing gifts, Christmas gifts for the children of youth villages this year. 
We do it throughout the year in our social justice efforts, and we do it even more consistently by living out those values in our private lives, where no matter how privately we do so, it shows. The spirit of this kind of living and loving shows in us somehow, and thus fortifies a similar ethic in one another and in others. I wanted to end this sermon with yet another poem by Mary Oliver, one that I love and which ends with this thought. You can drip with despair all afternoon and still on a green branch, its wings just lightly touched by the passive foil, passing foil of the water, the thrush puff, puffing out its spotted breast will sing of the perfect stone hard beauty of everything. But I must, I simply must instead end it with excerpts from Gibran's The Prophet on Giving. You give little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. For what are your possessions but things you keep and guard for fear you may need them tomorrow? And what is fear of need but need itself? Is not bread of thirst when your well is full, the thirst that is unquenchable? There are those who give little of the much which they have, and they give it for recognition. And their hidden desire makes their gifts unwholesome. And there are those who have little and give it all. These are the believers in life, and their coffer is never empty. There are those who give with joy, and that joy is their reward. And there are those who give with pain, and that pain is their baptism. And there are those who give and know not pain in giving, nor do they seek joy, nor give with mindfulness of virtue. They give as in yonder valley the myrtle breathes its fragrance into space. Through the hands of such as these, life speaks, and from behind their eyes, life smiles upon the earth. Amen.